I hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving. I hope everyone got to spend some time with your family and eat a whole lot of food. Hope you got to see your friends. And hopefully by now we are all starting to come out of the food coma. Now the problem is, if you're anything like me, we have a lot of leftovers. And so it seems like you come out of the Thanksgiving Day food coma, but then you have the Friday food coma and the Saturday one. We still have leftovers, so there'll probably be a Sunday one today as well. But hopefully we are ready to go. So as you can see with the wonderful trees that just made my day when I walked in, we are in the midst of the greatest season, the Christmas season. Now, how many of you put up all of your Christmas decor this weekend? You got after Thanksgiving and you said, it is time to put your Christmas decor up. Anybody? All right, we got a few. How many of you are saying, "Eh, it's not December, I need to wait a little bit longer, and you're still waiting a little bit? How many? How many of you have already had your Christmas decor up for a while? Be brave. All right, if that's you, I love you because I am in that boat. We have had our tree up for almost a month, and I am not apologizing for it. I love it. Absolutely love it. See, to me, Thanksgiving is one of the greatest days of the Christmas season. And so once that calendar hits November, I am 100% all in. See, to me, Christmas songs and Christmas decor, they only enhance the flavor of that turkey on Thanksgiving Day. Right? When you got those Christmas decorations up, that turkey just tastes a little bit better than it would have if those decorations weren't up. I absolutely love it. This season is one of my favorite times of the year. See, it's been said that man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about nine minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Hope. And what I love about the Christmas season is that as we celebrate the coming of Christ, it is a concrete, in the flesh, unmistakable reminder of the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus. See, as we look upon the manger, what we see is hope in the flesh. And this hope is not based on our circumstances, but it is based on our God who has proven his great love And he's proved it and we celebrate it in this season by sending his son, by not leaving us orphans on a fallen planet, but he came to redeem us, to restore us, and to give us hope and a future. And so if I could only pick one word, and it's really tough because so many would fit, but if I only had one single word to describe the Christmas season, it would be just that, hope. It's hope. It's hope. And today what I want to do is I want to take a look at that one simple and yet profound word and then press into it for our lives and for our world. And I'm believing that God is going to restore hope into people's lives today personally, into situations we may be facing. And what I'm really praying for is that God would just restore hope for the world in which we live in a fresh way as we begin to wind down 2022 and head into 2023. And so we're going to look at a bunch of verses today, and we're going to see how this all beautifully ties together, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at verses 18 to 21. 
And it says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So in this section in the book of Romans, Paul is referencing back to the great patriarch of the Old Testament, Abraham. And at the point that Paul is referencing, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were childless. Now, many of you, you may be familiar with this story. One day, God comes to Abraham and he tells him, you will be the father of many nations. You will have descendants like the stars in the sky. Now, that is a pretty crazy thought in and of itself, but especially so because Abraham at this point was about 100 years old. I'm sure he thought that God just found the wrong tent, had the wrong Abraham, something along those lines. 100 years old. Now, I turned 40 this year, which means I could tell my Sarah that we still have about 60 years to add to our tally of kiddos. But I also kind of want to see Christmas this year, so I'm not going to say that. Not going there. She gave me the look right there. So despite Abraham's circumstances... The circumstances that seemed so against God's promises, despite his circumstances, despite the fact that he was well past childbearing age, they hadn't had children for all of these years, he believed God. Even when there was absolutely no reason that he should have hope, he held on to hope. Even when everything in the natural said there's no way that this can be, he still held on to hope. He kept hoping and he believed that what God said would come true. Hope is not based on favorable circumstances, but it is based solely on the promises of God. And that is the thing we must understand. The biblical idea of hope is very different than the world's. See, the world would define hope as some sort of wish or desire or want. I sure hope I win the lottery. I sure hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Oh, I heard a couple of woohoos there. Yeah, sadly, we know there's no hope with that. We're about to enter phase two of every Cowboy season. Phase one is the great hope that you have. And then it all just falls apart and you're left in the shambles like always. But biblical hope is quite different. So let's define biblical hope. This is the definition of what hope means in the Bible. It is defined as a steadfast belief and anticipation of receiving the promises of God. Biblical hope, I'll repeat that, is a steadfast belief and anticipation of receiving the promises of God. Biblical hope is about anticipation and belief of receiving. So this would be more like you have something in your cart on Amazon, you go ahead and you order that thing, you wait a day or two, and all of a sudden you get that email that says it has shipped It has the tracking information. You can go check it out and you can see that that item is being shipped to you. At that point, you have a steadfast belief and you are anticipating its arrival. And as long as it's not FedEx who couldn't find my house for the first six months that we lived there, despite many phone calls, 
as long as it's not that, you have a great anticipation that you are going to receive that thing. See, that is what biblical hope is like. We have promises from God that we find in his word, and we are believing and anticipating that God will bring them to pass, even if they're not in our hands right at the moment. Abraham wasn't just wishing that God would give him a son. It wasn't just like, oh, I wish God would give me a son. All right, he said he would give me a son. I just, I wish it's true. No, Abraham was joyfully anticipating and believing that God was gonna fulfill the promise that he had given to him. So even when he didn't have that promise yet fulfilled, he still held on to hope that God is able and God is good and God will fulfill his promises. See, hope is a powerful thing in the life of a believer because there may be times and situations in our lives where it seems like hope is all we have left. Hope is what keeps us going in the times where we've yet to receive what God has promised. Through those tough times, through those desert seasons, hope is what keeps alive the anticipation that God's promises for us and his promises for this world are alive and well, even in the midst of the challenges that we face. And what you'll find is that those without hope, while they'll quickly just throw in the towel, those who hold on to hope in God can persevere. And if we persevere, we will see what God has promised. And so God has made such incredible promises throughout his word that we can put our hope in. Promises for our lives and the lives of others. Promises for the difficult seasons and promises for this world in which we live. And so we're going to dig a bit deeper into each of those today. So first, because of Jesus, there is hope for men and women and people's lives. We must never forget that though Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ, and we tend to think of this cute little baby, the only reason there was a Christmas is so that there could be an Easter. Jesus came on a mission. He came on a mission to bring redemption and restoration to men and women who were in desperate need of a Savior. We must never lose sight of how significant our salvation experience really is. Colossians 1.13 says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we know that we are born with a fallen nature, born under the influence and as residents of the kingdom of darkness. The problem isn't just that humans are born and that they sin. The problem is that we are born with a nature completely in opposition to God, and we are born as citizens of the kingdom of darkness. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, we know the original story. They were in the garden. They were told not to eat from the one tree. The serpent comes, Satan disguised as, and he comes and he tells them to eat from that tree, and she did, and then she gave it to Adam, and he did as well. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the issue wasn't just that they disobeyed God, but rather the issue was they aligned themselves with the voice of the enemy against God. We have to catch that today because that's a powerful thing. It wasn't that they just sinned accidentally and said, well, God said not to eat this from this tree, but I'm just going to do it anyway. That would have been bad enough. But it was a worse and more difficult thing because they actually came into agreement with the enemy against God. And that is the cause of the problems, the fallen nature that man has. See, there's no Band-Aid that can fix this. Self-help books can't cut it because it's not just about changing our behavior. It's about changing our very nature. 
It's about laying down our lives to bring them into alignment with God once again. That's why we must be born again. That's why we must have a supernatural encounter with God where he removes us from the kingdom of darkness, gives us a new nature, and plants us in his kingdom. John 1.13, it says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So salvation isn't just a human decision. While it starts with a decision, this verse shows that when we make that decision, a supernatural activity takes place, a miracle, and we are born of God. Given a new nature in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. We are snatched from the kingdom of darkness, and we become members of God's kingdom. So this means, ultimately, we will be restored and redeemed for all of eternity. God's original intentions of intimacy with humanity will be eternally restored. But don't miss out, because it's not that we receive Christ and we have hope someday. We have hope right now. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So once we receive Christ, we are positioned to fulfill the plans that God has for us. This gives us hope for living a life of true meaning and purpose by fulfilling those plans that God had in us knowing him and then making him known, impacting eternity through the way we live our lives. Eternity in the presence of the Father will be amazing. It's, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. Right? Always ever known in this world is a fallen world. So even the greatest experience that we've ever had in this world still has the stains of a fallen world on it. So we can't even begin to comprehend how amazing it will be when we are in an unfallen, just completely redone world in the presence of our Father. It's the ultimate hope. But we celebrate in this season that hope has also come to this world to redeem and restore so if you're here this morning, if you don't know Christ, he is offering you that hope this morning. If you have family members who need to know Christ, there is hope for them this morning because God can take the worst and he can bring them into his kingdom. Next, because of Jesus, there is hope through those difficult seasons of life. Now, I don't know what kind of year you've been having. A year can bring so many things upon us. Now, some of you, you may be having the greatest year of your life. It may just be the best. You may have had incredible things that have happened. It may be the greatest year of your life. But we also recognize this morning that some of you may be walking through the most difficult times of your life. This may be the most difficult season. You may be walking through those things even right now. We thank God for Christ because in him we have hope even through those difficult situations. Christ coming to this earth it shows that he not only cares about the situations we walk through, but that he understands those things even as we go through them. He experienced this fallen world firsthand and then he paid the price to overcome it. And to not just overcome it for himself, but to overcome it on our behalf so that we could too. There is hope today for whatever situation you may be facing, whatever you may be walking through. Today, if you're walking through an illness or a sickness, some sort of pain in your body, I want to point you once again to our amazing Lord and Savior and find hope in the healing power of Jesus. He is the God of miracles. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Jesus healed all of the sick to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, declaring the Messiah would take up our infirmities and diseases so we don't have to. This morning, there is hope for healing. I want you to have a belief and an anticipation of receiving God's healing power because there is hope for healing this morning. You may be here, you may be dealing with a financial need in this season. I wanna point you to the God who promises to provide for all of our needs. You may be dealing with marital issues, family issues, unforgiveness, brokenness, depression, anxiety. Whatever it is, there is hope that if we will come to Christ, we can experience freedom and healing in all of these things. Because we serve a God who promises to never leave us nor forsake us. A God whose love is so powerful and pervasive that nothing in heaven and earth can separate us from it. I declare to you this morning the hope that we have in a God who works out all things for our good. If you are going through some difficult situations today and it's not looking good, I want you to hold on to hope because it's not the end. If you are looking at your circumstances and they are not good, it simply means that God's not done working yet because he's gonna work it all together for good. So hold on to hope you have in Christ. The God who is faithful in the past will be faithful in the future. There is hope in all things because he has given us such incredible promises of his word to hold on today. And hope believes means that we believe and anticipate seeing them in our lives. We believe and we anticipate seeing them in our lives. And now I want to turn to the one that I believe is probably the hardest for many in the church today. And I want to spend some time here today. There is hope for our world. There is hope for our world. See, as a pastor, one thing that really, truly concerns me is that I see in so many believers today is almost a lost hope when it comes to the world in which we live. So many people in this nation, many believers, they see the darkness and the challenges and those things have almost caused a lost hope for God and for his church and a belief that we can truly make an impact. Here's why this is so important, why we must believe there is hope for our world. I believe that when we, the church, survey the darkness in our world, we will react one of two ways. First, we will either see the darkness, see what is happening, And we'll have hope only in a rapture where we're rescued from the darkness or hope of heaven someday. Or two, we'll see in the darkness an opportunity to find the very purposes for which we are alive. When we survey the darkness, we will react one of two ways only. We will either look past it and say, well, we have the hope of heaven someday. That's good enough. This world's falling apart or we will look at the darkness and we will say, this is the very reason for which I am alive. We are alive to bring light to that darkness. We're not shrinking back from it. We're looking at that darkness and we're saying, this is my mission to find where I can bring the light of Jesus. Now I have four children. It wasn't too long ago I was at a store and I was checking out and I had Judah with me. And the lady made a comment about Judah, and I said, yeah, I got three others at home. 
And her reply was, man, I wouldn't want to have four kids in a world like this. And I just kind of looked at her. I was all done. She had handed me my receipt. There wasn't time for a long conversation. The next person was there. And I just looked at her and I said, don't worry, God's got this. But she said, I wouldn't want to have kids in a world like this. Here's the thing. I would say we must have children in a world like this because God has planned them. He has planned them for the times in which we live. And they will carry something that this world needs to be changed for Christ. We are born in a season and a time that God dictates. My four children are here at this time in history because they will carry something that this world needs to be changed for him. And the fact of the matter is every single one of us do as well. Every single one of us does. There is a reason you were born when you were born. Your life is an answer to some darkness, some challenge, some issue that somebody is facing in this world. Your life is an answer to the darkness. You're here at this time in history because God said you carry something that this world needs to be changed for me. We spoke earlier that God is a God of redemption and restoration. God didn't send his son to die to only redeem us for a future eternity. He sent his son to redeem and restore us now and for all of eternity. And I believe wholeheartedly that if men and women can be saved, if men and women can be redeemed, if men and women can be restored, then can so can the world in which we live. This is God's intention. And it's the promise in which we have hope. And you see God's intention in this with the very first reference to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the very first Christmas book, Christmas verse. So earlier than the Gospels, earlier than the prophets, earlier than the Psalms, it's found in the very first book near the very beginning. Why don't we turn to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So the context of this, Adam and Eve had just disobeyed God. They had eaten the fruit. And God is letting them know that because they did this, because they chose to come into agreement with the enemy, they were now going to suffer the consequences of that choice. See, God gives us the freedom to choose, but we're not free from the consequences of those choices. So after God speaks to Adam and Eve, he then turns his attention to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And here we see the very first reference to the Messiah, the Christ, ultimately Jesus, the Son of God who was to come. And God says that through the offspring of woman, the Son of God taking on human flesh, he will strike the head of the serpent. In other words, though Satan thought at that point he had won a great victory, there was coming a day where he would be defeated. And that took place on the cross. Jesus didn't come to this earth to be a good teacher. He didn't come to just save people for heaven. He came to destroy what Satan was doing in his creation. He came to bring true hope to a fallen world, to redeem and restore, and to not simply purchase one-way tickets out for those who follow him. There is hope for our world today. 
Now, does anybody know which verse from the Old Testament is the most quoted in the New Testament? A little trivia. Anybody know? Don't you hate it when pastors do that? Because they've prepared all week for this. They know it. You didn't get the notes. You're not prepared. It's not nice that we do that. It is in Psalm 110. It's the first verse. I think we have it. And I don't normally do this, but we're going to read from the Amplified Version because I think it really helps bring out the meaning of this verse. But the most quoted Old Testament verse in all of the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. And it says, The Lord, Father, says to my Lord, the Messiah, his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, subjugating them into complete submission. I like that a lot. So we're just going to read that once again. It says, the Lord Father says to my Lord, the Messiah, his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, subjugating them into complete submission. Now, depending on the biblical scholar, you will find that this verse is directly quoted or alluded to or referenced over 24 times in the New Testament. Now, that should make us take a pause. 24 times the New Testament writers through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in bringing forth revelation of the new covenant and what Christ had accomplished pointed back to this verse. And the implications of that simple fact are important because whether you're a parent or because we all had parents at some point, we know that things that are really important get repeated a lot. See, I can't say I've had multiple conversations with my kids that the planet Pluto is about 3.25 billion miles from the earth, but I can say that I've told them many, many, many times that no matter what situation they find themselves in, no matter how anybody else is acting, they can always do the right thing. See, there are certain things that we want them to know, certain truths that we want people to know and our kids to know and to live by. So we don't just tell them one time and hope that they get it. Rather, we repeat it time and time and time again to make sure it is really sunk in. As such, if this one verse is repeated and quoted so many times, over 24 times, it should tell us that understanding it is of great importance And our father wanted us, his children, to know it and live by it. So in this verse, it was written by David. In this verse, David saw a conversation taking place. And this conversation is taking place between father and the son. And in this conversation, the father, after Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven, the father says, sit at my right hand, and I'm going to make all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Father has been, is now presently, and throughout the rest of the new covenant church age prior to Christ's return, and with great finality at his return, is bringing every single enemy of Christ under his feet. I just want that to sink in this morning. That the father has promised to his son, you sit at my right hand and I'm going to bring every single enemy of yours and put them under you as a footstool for your feet. See, the subjugation of the enemy has already begun. It is in progress and it will continue until the day that Christ returns to this earth. 
This is not merely a one-time event at the end of history. It is a current reality. We must let go of the idea that salvation is merely about getting humanity to a place called heaven and recognize that salvation is about getting heaven into humanity. Salvation is so much more than just getting people to heaven someday. Salvation is taking heaven and bringing it to earth today. There is amazing hope for the world in which we live. Amazing hope for the world in which we live. And there are so many verses that declare this hope, that declare God's promises and his intentions for our world. Let's look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. These verses prophesy to the coming of the Messiah. And it says, When the Messiah comes, there will be darkness over the earth. But then it declares God's answer and his remedy. And that answer and that remedy is found in his people shining their light, the light of Christ, so that the nations are impacted with the good news. See, three times in Numbers and Habakkuk and Isaiah, we are told that the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The very promise to Abraham that we started with today is that he would be the father of many nations and he would have descendants like the stars in the sky. Christ himself in Matthew 28 tells us that all authority is his, consequently ours through him. And he says that we're not just to go out and win a few souls and a few stragglers here or there, but we are to make disciples of the nations. And there are so many more verses that speak to the magnificent things that God wants to do in our world. And despite the fact that there are challenges in darkness, the kingdom through the church age is called to advance forward, to expand and bring the knowledge of God's glory throughout the entire earth. Now I get it. I totally understand what some are thinking today. Sometimes we see the darkness and the challenges of this world and it makes us question if these promises could even be so. Or what we often will do is we'll push them off into some future millennium, not because the verses actually teach that at all, but because they just seem too good to be true. They just seem impossible. That's a terrible way to interpret the Bible. When you look at something and you say, well, that's just too good to be true, so that can't be for us. We just got to push that off to some other time. Terrible way to interpret the Bible. And yet so many people do that because these verses just seem so great. They just seem impossible. Well, we serve a God of the, of the impossible. And the question becomes, will we, like Abraham, believe the promises of God and live like it? Can we, even as we look at the current state of our world, hold on to hope that God can and will do what these verses have promised? Are we actually holding on to hope this morning for our world and living like it? Do we believe these promises this morning? See, this is really important. Really important what we believe. Belief is foundational to hope. Earlier in the message, we defined hope as the belief that we will receive the promises of God in our lives. Belief is absolutely critical. What we believe is absolutely critical 
because our lives and the church will always manifest from what we believe. And this is because everything that happens in the Christian walk is through faith. And faith is simply belief that we put into action. Faith is built on top of belief. See, therefore, if our belief system is flawed, then we will never be able to walk in faith that overcomes. It's why there's such an attack by the enemy against truth. He wants to mess with the church's belief system because if he gets the belief system messed up, that's the foundation upon which everything else is built. If he can mess up our belief system and get us to believe lies or not believe what God has declared in his word, then everything else falls apart because belief is the foundation that we build all of these things. If we believe the world is dark, doomed, and destined to fall, fall apart, then our world will slip further into darkness through the faith of believers. Let me repeat that because I believe this is really important for us to grasp this morning. See, if we believe the world is dark, doomed, and destined to fall apart, then our world will slip further into darkness through the faith of believers. And we will miss out on the promises of God because we didn't believe them or because we had more faith in darkness than in God's light. Hebrews tells us that the Israelites under Moses did not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. See, God fully intended to bring them into the promised land, that generation. They could have experienced it for themselves, but their unbelief kept them from receiving what God actually, truly intended for their lives. And so the promise of God was fulfilled in a future generation. Are there promises of God that we are missing out in our generation because of unbelief? Are there promises of God that will need to wait until a future generation comes that believes them for him to see them fulfilled in this world? That generation of Israelites missed out on what God truly intended them to have because of their unbelief. And there are promises of the word that will only be received by a people who first believe and believe so strongly and hold on to hope so tightly that they then step out in faith and live their lives accordingly so. So let me challenge a way that many people think. Are we okay with that? Am I allowed to challenge the status quo some? I don't hear anybody saying yes, that's not good. Wow, man, somebody give me a yes, please. All right, there we go, awesome. Man. Is the United States further away from God than we were years ago? The answer to that is probably so, but if we are, it's not because the enemy has gotten stronger or wiser. Let's talk about this a bit. See, the enemy is a finite being. He has no way of growing stronger. There are no more demons today than there were from the fall. In fact, I would propose that the enemy is probably actually going the other way because Jesus said, I am the true vine. And every branch that's broken off from the vine withers away to nothing. He's broken off from the vine. He is a finite being. He has no way of growing stronger. There are exactly the same amount of demons today as there were on the day of the fall. He is no stronger now than the day that he fell. So any increase in darkness in our world can never be attributed to a more powerful enemy, but only a weaker church. 
any increase in darkness in this world can never be attributed that the enemy is getting stronger and more powerful. He is finite. He is limited. We serve a limitless God. And so if there is increasing darkness in this world, we can't say that it's because darkness is getting greater. It simply means the light is not shining. The light's not shining as much. He is no stronger now than he was on the day of the fall. We play an integral part in this. See, the church is the agent of advancement for the kingdom. We are the ones to shine the light. We are the ones to make disciples. We are the ones to spread the knowledge of God's glory everywhere. Christ accomplished his purposes. He came and he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He restored the broken. He set spiritual captives free. He revealed purpose and identity to people. He came and was lightened to the world. And then he said, you go and do exactly the same. And if the worship team wants to come, that would be great. Romans 16, 20. I think we have that one. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So Paul, writing to the Romans, obviously with clear reference back to the Genesis account, says God will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, Jesus has purchased this and he has made it possible. His birth, his perfect sinless life, his death and his resurrection crushed the head of the serpent. The ultimate war was won on that day, but there are still battles to be fought in order to see that victory spread throughout our world. And we are now called to be the ones that go forth and continue to crush Satan under our feet. We carry the hope of Jesus Christ. But we must take this mantle and we must run with it. We won't accomplish it by just being content to go to church. We must rise up and be the church. We cannot stand on the sidelines anymore. We're gonna go back to Genesis. I have just one more verse. I know we've looked at a lot today. And it's in Genesis 3, 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So in the account of Adam and Eve with Satan, Eve listens to the voice of the serpent. She aligns herself with him and she eats the fruit. And then she gave it to Adam. But here is the piece of the verse that I believe is often missed and I've never heard anybody talk about it. Look at the end part of that verse. It says, then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. See, I believe most people and the way I've heard this taught before is that the serpent came and she deceived Eve and then Eve was like, oh man, this is awesome. I gotta go find Adam and give it. And so she goes running through the garden to find Adam to give him some of this fruit. But no, it says Adam was with her. He was right there while this all happened. He saw this happening right in front of him and he sat there and he didn't do a thing. And I believe the church has fallen into that same pattern in many ways, that many believers have made the same mistake. We see what's happening in this world. We're right there. We're living in the midst of it. And yet we find ourselves sitting there and we don't do a thing. 
And then we question why this world is in such a bad place. It's our assignment to shine his light. It's our knowledge, to, it's our job to spread the knowledge of his glory. It's our job to make disciples for him. It's our job to impact our world for Christ. And even if we don't do it very well, it doesn't change the assignment that we are given. See, a teacher can give a student an assignment to write a 10 page essay. And that student, they may blow it off. They may wait until the night before. Not that anybody in here has ever done that. They may scribble down four pages of garbage and turn in a hot mess. This doesn't change the original assignment given for a 10-page essay. It simply means the student did a bad job. And the student will be graded against the standard of that original assignment, 10-page essay. We have been given an assignment to impact our world for Christ. We have been given an assignment to shine our light, to spread the knowledge of his glory, to make disciples for him. And we will be graded based upon it. Here's the good news in this. Despite of all of the challenges we see in this world, of which there are many, there is hope because of Jesus. Because Jesus struck the head of the serpent And now if we are willing and if we step out in faith, God has promised to crush the serpent under our feet as well. There is hope for our world. And once the church starts believing and hoping for our world once again, I believe we'll start living like it. And once we start living like it, we'll see these things begin to come to pass. Now here's the thing. Even if we don't see the fullness in our lifetime, we are still called to give ourselves to this. Abraham only saw the beginning of the promise that God had given him. He saw Isaac. He didn't see the descendants like the stars in the sky. He only saw the very beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. So even if we only in our lifetime see these things begin to shape up and begin to take place, we are called to give ourselves fully to them knowing that a future generation may just see them come to pass. We're living for something greater than ourselves in this world. Bethel, there is hope for our community. There is hope for Littlestown and the surrounding region. Bethel has been placed here for a reason. You have been placed at Bethel, not just to go to church and to hold on for heaven someday, but you have been placed here with a mandate to bring heaven to this community today. You're here for a reason. We're all here for a reason. God is building this body together, the body of Christ. We are the ones called to shine the light. We are the ones that must spread his knowledge and make disciples in this community. In this community. Do you believe it this morning? That despite where things are, God can do it. Do you have hope today? See, God has given us a divine mandate to pray for every single street in this community. We are almost there. We're getting practical now. If you go out in the foyer, you'll see one sheet with about 25 streets that still need adopted. I would just encourage you, go adopt another street. Or if you haven't adopted one, adopt it because we are praying over every single street in this community. We are gonna pray like never before. I wanna encourage you to just get out into the community every day. Look for opportunities to connect with your neighbors. 
Listen for the voice of the Lord when you are out shopping, when you're eating at a restaurant, you carry his light. He has filled you with his light. You carry the knowledge of his glory and you can diffuse that everywhere that you go. You can release that light. You can release that knowledge at the store, at a restaurant, at your workplace, at school. You release those things. So let's get out in our community. Let's engage. Let's be intentional every day because you never know what door God will open. And when he does, let's make sure we walk through them. We're looking for ways to connect with this community. We are currently collecting supplies for the Littlestown High School teachers. We are sharing the knowledge of God's glory with every single one of them by simply telling them that we care and by sharing something very tangible and practical with them. You can make an impact for the kingdom this week by simply going out and buying some tissues, some hand sanitizer, some snacks. And then we're put together a package that's gonna go to every single teacher in that high school. And we are gonna let them know that Bethel cares. Bethel is here. We are engaging with our community. Bethel, we have hope. We have hope that the greatest days of this church are coming. And it's not so that we can have a bless me party inside the four walls of this church, but so that God can use this church to forever change this community and region. So a couple of months ago, it was on a Wednesday night and Nick was leading worship over at the youth service. And I was just pacing back and forth, just having this incredible conversation with God. And I started thinking about the sheer size of this building. I started thinking about all of the capacity and the amount of unused space we have. And for a moment, I started to get frustrated and then the Lord just kind of grabbed a hold of my attention and he just spoke something so clearly into my heart. And he said, there's coming a day where you will need all of that space. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Will you stand in agreement with me this morning? Will you join me in prophesying this morning in agreement with what I believe the Lord spoke in my heart, that there is coming a day when this building will be overflowing with people who are coming to Christ who are being discipled and then are being sent out. Will you join me this morning as we prophesy this morning that every single inch of space in this building will be used for the advancement of his kingdom. That the greatest days of kingdom impact are not past, but they are on the horizon. And this church will shine the light and the knowledge of his glory to this community and in this region. Bethel, do you believe that it can be so? Do you believe that it can be so? If we believe it, then let's live like it because the Israelites had to believe and then they had to take action. They had to take possession of the land. True belief and true hope will always lead to action. And so let's be a church of action and let's bring people the hope of Jesus. Let's bring the light to them. Let's spread the knowledge of his glory every single place that we go. So I'd like to finish with a few things today. First is a question. Do you have the hope of Christ? If you're here and you've never received Christ into your life, you've never asked him to be your savior, you can leave here with that hope today. And so that's the first thing I would like to do. 
Is there anybody here this morning that says, I don't have the hope of Christ, but I want to receive that this morning? If that's you, I want you to just slip your hand up. And I know everybody's asking, well, aren't we supposed to close our eyes and do all of that sort of stuff? No, we don't need to do that because there's nothing to be ashamed of here. If you need to know Jesus, I want you to just slip your hand up. The second thing I want to pray about today, do you need hope in some situations in your life? You may fall into that camp that I talked about earlier, that this may have been the most difficult year of your life. You may be going through some things this morning. Is there anybody here this morning that would just say, I need the hope of Christ in some situation this morning? If that's you, can you just slip your hand up? Put it up real high. Real, real high. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take just a minute or two because you are the body of Christ. You carry his light. You are powerful in him. If you see somebody with their hand raised around you, I want you to just go lay hands on them right now. Just go pray over them. We're just gonna take a couple minutes this morning. Once somebody comes to you, you can put your hand down so we know who needs prayer. Just look around, make sure there's nobody with a hand up this morning. We are the body of Christ. Your prayers are powerful and effective. If you still need prayer, if nobody's with you, please just keep your hand up high. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.